Welcome to the latest episode of Oxygen Starved, the podcast that brings you your ABCs, adventure, books, and conversations from 11,000 feet with your esteemed hosts, Dr. Stacy Adler of the Mono County Office of Education and Mr. Christopher Platt of the Mono County Free Library. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of the Oxygen Starved podcast, where we bring you your ABCs, Adventures, Books, and Conversations at, from 11,000 feet. I'm Stacy, And I'm Christopher. And with us, as always, is producer Doug. Good morning, hey guys. Doug. Hey, Doug. What's, going What's going on? How you doing, dude? Fine. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to figure out what in the heck is so smart about smart boards i think smart boards are dumb but however i haven't read the manual so i think i need to go back and read the manual watch the tutorials do all that stuff yeah think about well, it 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 support was never involved in chalkboard maintenance yeah that's, no that's that's, right. or or, or yeah, even see, whiteboard it, maintenance yeah, yeah. It migrated from maintenance to us come on guys <laughs> i'll forgive them i'll forgive them uh, oh that's funny oh you know i so every once in a while, one of the school districts will say, oh, we're short for substitutes. Can you come substitute? And quite honestly, I'm afraid to because there's so much technology that teachers use now that I don't know how to to work. <laughs> and I'm afraid I'd get in there and, like, oh, do this on the smart board and blah. I, I don't know how to do any of that <laughs> stuff. Yeah, I've got, to, I've, got to, I've got to get a basic baseline down, and then I think I'll be good. But that baseline oh, is that's not, funny. not yet there. That is oh, funny. Well, we, we appreciate all the work that you and your colleagues in the tech department do for all of us. So thank you for that. How are you doing, Christopher? I'm doing, I'm doing great. You know, uh, spring has sprung. Yes. Hasn't it? Yeah. And Allergies. <laughs> allergies yeah the pollen count is going up yeah. i'm now starting to see that on weather.com so yeah back to the pharmacy to get allergy meds right <laughs> it's the it's the, the name of the game out here well you know you got to take the good with the bad and i will take it every single day <laughs> for sure so highway 120 is open it now. is yay. yay and so for listeners that aren't familiar with highway 120 so Highway 120 goes off east and west from Highway 395. Going west out of Levining, you can go to Yosemite National Park. And then it takes you over to the other side to get to the Bay Area, which is a beautiful way to go. That's, but like, then, the, that's, like, the, that's up to Tioga Pass, right? I'm not exactly. sure Tioga Pass is open yet, but... Um, that is like the signal, beautiful drive through Yosemite, right? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And it's a great way to spend a day just driving through there. The Going the other way, however, Highway 120 East is open. Yep. And you got to drive on it the other day. <laughs> so, um, you know, listeners, in our last episode, we chatted about how you and I in our jobs, and Doug as well, we drive all over the county all the time. And so we kind of know the roads and the back roads. And I will tell you that Highway 120 East from the Mono Basin over to Benton, basically, almost mm -hmm. to Nevada, um, is, in my view, one of the most beautiful drives in the county. 
it's a very unsung road. It's not a heavily trafficked road. You don't see near the traffic that's going up towards Yosemite. It's just kind of off. And I don't think a lot of people even know what's out there. Um, and so when it opens every year, I always get excited uh, for a couple of reasons. And so I will build it into my branch visit. So driving to Benton from a north branch the other day, I, I headed down that way. I'm always excited for these little pink flowers. I think they're called skunky monkeys. Um, they're little tiny high desert wild flowers mm-hmm. that are maybe like, maybe they grow an inch or two off the ground, like typical of desert wildflowers, you know? And they grow just south of Mono Lake and on the east side of the Mono Craters in that kind of pumice sand, that pumice soil that's all very gray. And I first discovered them a couple years ago driving between branches, and I was admiring just the gray pumice sand. It's so unique on that side of the lake over there. It's almost otherworldly. And then there's that kind of new pine forest that's growing out there, Mm -hmm. a lot of young trees. And then at just this particular couple weeks of the year, there was just this subtle sea of pink across the gray and it made me pull over and go look at what it is and you know it's just so wonderful these little tiny skunky monkey flowers (laughs) that are are as big as your thumb but in in a quantity across the area they really stick out and it just is i think one of the most beautiful things about the eastern sierra i will say um it was a little too early for them maybe by the time this broadcast this podcast is released maybe they're starting to come up and bloom Maybe you're going to start a new trend. Like it's going to be like the new California poppies are going to be these little <laughs> skunky monkeys and everybody's going to come oh, to see no. the skunky monkey bloom. <laughs> no, I, I hope not that. Um, <laughs> there, I will tell listeners, as we always do, please be responsible yes. in our area. There is actually controlled parking, especially in that area because they are so fragile. Um, a lot of that area is cut off from cars and and they encourage you not to walk on it as well. But there are plenty of places to pull over where you can stop and take photos and admire this kind of stuff. It is it is really breathtaking. And I know that there are wildflower hunters who come up this side of the mountains mm-hmm. to see this kind of stuff. Oh. So I'm sure they know what I'm talking about. Um, but they weren't there. So I kept <laughs> going. And here's what I really wanted to chat about. You know, it's wonder this wonderful, you know, volcanic tablelands kind of topography. And then you kind of come down over and out of the Mono Basin, down into this valley, the Adobe Valley, which again is hidden to most people. Right. They don't know it's there. And at this time of year, it's when the bright spring greens begin mm-hmm. to appear. And across this big vista, you see these bright, it just kind of lifts your spirit, right? Those, right. Those, those bright, fresh greens that are coming together from the different plants and grasses um, to add color to the whole. It's like a watercolor in a way. And yeah. You know, Adobe Valley, uh, there's a couple of things I'll say about it. You know, Adobe Meadows is out there. Um, you can go and explore those. Um, but, you know, driving through it, it really is, it's undisturbed almost. Right. Apart from the road and a few dirt roads, if you get out of your car and put the road on your back and just look ahead, mm-hmm. you could be standing out in what it would have looked like 100 years ago, 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's no... Right. You don't see telephone poles. You don't see buildings. It's almost like being in the high country, you know, right. would have just been you and, you know, you probably would have been native. You would have been native American at that mm-hmm. time. You know, I mean, that's who was out there using that area. And there are some 
interesting things about it. There's a river Springs is out there. There's a spring against the mountains. Um, there's an old stagecoach stop out there that you can go and explore with a circular, um, uh, livestock corral. Um, and that kind of just gives you a sense of how the County has changed over a hundred years that the main roads have changed this old stagecoach stop, which was an important stop on the way to like Aurora or Masonic or some of the, Bodhi, the, the towns, <laughs> the towns that existed at the time that no longer exists. Right. Um, traffic has changed. Right. And now yeah. it's all up 395. Um, and then there's also a big, beautiful lake out there called Black Lake that part of the land around it. I think most of the land around it actually is protected through an Eastern, the Eastern Sierra Land Trust. And we had Kay on the podcast a number of episodes mm-hmm. ago. So it was really interesting to learn um, that because that's an important migratory spot for many birds and, and what have you. Right. Um, so, and the other fun thing about driving that section of 120 through Adobe Valley is that the road isn't terribly well graded. So it's very, it's a lot of <laughs> undulations, dips. If you like to get a little bit of air under your tires yeah, I and was, slam I was back down. I going to say that. I was waiting for you to bring that part of it up because I know there have been times where I have, my very first time driving across right. 120 East, I did not take heed of how steep these <laughs> undulations were and when it was going a little too fast. So um, <laughs> I encourage listeners, if you're driving that way, you know, you don't want to be going a hundred miles an hour. Unle- oh, I mean, unless not. you want an adventure that could be a little dangerous. <laughs> yeah. That's a common newbie mistake driving yes, that road, right? You don't take sure. the, you don't take the dips sign seriously enough. It's like driving a roller coaster and you will bottom out. There's marks yeah. from cars ahead of yep. you that have bottomed out and Definitely. I often will see I will often see motorhomes or or travel yeah. trailers going at a good clip and I think, "Oh my goodness, mm. I hope they make I it." Know. Um, I know. But yeah, you know, I just, it's a, it's an easy kind of out of the way portion of the county that I think is one of the most beautiful, especially at this time of year before the weather gets too hot. You know, the other thing about Adobe Valley, which I've heard from many, many people is, um, it's rattlesnake central. So, you know, when the weather's hot, you know, the reptiles and snakes are out. So, um, wear your boots (laughs) and be careful. And be be careful careful if you have your your dogs with you too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so between the snakes and the, and the dips on the road, you kind of <laughs> do have to be careful out there. Um, but it is beautiful at this time of year and it will have its own kind of flowers and what have you coming up soon. And it also then, so you drive South out of that past river Springs, past the stagecoach stop. Um, and then it takes you up and over some wonderful rock formations and down into Benton right. and Benton hot Springs. And we had Bill Bramlett on, as well. So it kind of connects, it basically connects a few podcast episodes of ours. So (laughs) definitely does. And with that connection in mind, listeners, go get a cup of coffee or some tea or keep driving along wherever you're driving. And we'll be right back. Oxygen, a colorless, odorless reactive gas, the chemical element of atomic number eight and the life supporting component of the air. Starved, suffering a severe and damaging lack of basic material and cultural benefits. Oxygen Starved Podcast, a colorless, odorless, 
culture-packed, nutritious podcast considering books, describing Mono County adventure, and engaging in informative conversation with colorful Eastside Sierra locals. Download it now. Welcome back, listeners. We are at the B portion of the podcast, the books portion. Cheer! Yay! Yay! Okay, so (laughs) cheers out of the way. (laughs) Everyone's rolling their eyes. You know, Stace, we have skirted around a genre of literature in a number of podcast conversations now. And we always say, let's we have. We'll have to talk about that in the future. Yeah. Yes. And um, so the future did, is here. The future <laughs> is here. Thank God. Um, <laughs> well, I think it's actually a very apropos kind of genre to talk about as we're coming through a pandemic because reading has been an issue for many people. During stay home and anxiety and and angst and all the stuff that's been going on, so we are revisiting the romance genre. Yes, which the romance uh, <laughs> you can't get enough romance. You know, you can't get enough romance. And I will be the first one to admit, you know, um, I'm uh, until last year. I will point out, I was not a romance reader. I didn't think I was what have you. And I'll tell you in a little bit about my own journey to reading romance, but I, let's just give our listeners a, a little bit of a kind of a $30,000, $30,000, 30,000 foot view <laughs> of what romance is. Yes. Well, you know, if you're a good ro- if you're a good romance author, you can make $30,000 a day. And <laughs> yeah, there you go. What am I doing here? Um, okay. So, uh, let's just give it, uh, give an overview for our listeners what romance is. So I did a little bit of librarianing on this and I went to the source. There's a great organization called Romance Writers of America. And I went to their website and pulled a lot of interesting information. So here's a couple of tidbits. This romance readership, which is, um, you know, we're talking Bridgerton, we're talking, Mm -hmm. you know, those kinds of books, series books, what have you. It's very voracious, very dedicated, very close knit. There's a lot of people who read romances and they are often very connected with each other and with their authors. They follow them on social media. They're part of Facebook groups and around their authors and what have you. Um, and it's a very lively environment romance. What might surprise our listeners is that romance makes up almost 25% of fiction sales any given year in America. Wow. That means there's a lot of people want to want a happy ending in their life. Right. Um, the typical romance readers are largely female, about 80% female, mostly, um, frankly, mostly straight white women in their thirties. Um, but the Romance Writers of America says that's changing. Things are getting a little bit more complex, and the stories are getting more complex. The younger readers are reading things that are more diverse in ethnicity and sexual orientation. There's a lot more men reading them. There's more people listening to them on audiobooks or reading them on e- e-book, as ebooks. Um, mm-hmm. And there are new genres coming out, like paranormal romance, or we talked about Amish romance, the bonnet right. rippers, the really yeah. kind of very light religious romances. Um, and again, like the, the romance community of readers and writers are really becoming more engaged on social media and um, connecting with each other. So it's kind of an interesting place to be. I will say as a librarian, um, this is also an area where self-publishing has taken off. You know, a lot of people can go to Amazon or other platforms right. and write their own books. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you don't have to go through a traditional publishing house 
And there's a lot of tools and resources out there that these people share with each other on how to write and publish your romance book. Everything from I will do be a better reader for you or a sensitivity reader for you to make sure you got all your facts right to I will help you choose a cover for your book. So it's fascinating to see all this happen. The two ingredients that make a romance novel that must always be there is there has to be a central love story, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, can be very light, like an Amish romance, or it can be very steamy, very, very yes. steamy in some cases. And there also <laughs> always has to be a happily ever after ending. So it can't okay. end like on a cliffhanger or anything like that. Um, and one of the things that, uh, one of the, there's some common tropes here. So right. um, the people, the two people in, in having the love story may start out as friends and they evolve to lovers because they discover they have feelings for each other. They may start out as enemies and then become lovers. And these are those kind of meet cute romances. Mm-hmm. Um, there's what's called forced proximity. So you've been snowed in together in a blizzard and you fall in love or you're a rock star and you have to have a bodyguard and you're hanging out together all the time and you fall in love. And then the, there's kind of types of characters on either side of this equation. There's the ne'er-do-well who isn't who's kind of messy in life and what have you and the wallflower or the type A really, you know, everything's tight-knit and controlling person with the wild child or m- one of my favorites, <laughs> the, <laughs> the city slicker who moves back to the small town and finds the love of their life and never wants to go back to the city, you know. There's a variety of these things. Yes. And I, I think that, that that to me is the one that I've read the most often. <laughs> you know, the city goes back to the hometown. And that seems to be a very common It theme. is common. Yes. It makes me wonder of all the small towns that we drive through every day, how much romance must be happening. I, I know. They, it <laughs> just must be like the Hallmark Channel all the time. And <laughs> well, then there's also that first Bridgerton situation, right? Which is the fake romance, fake. which is yes. very common in these stories. So these are the formulas that go in. And these formulas are played out in a variety of different subgenres. There's the Regency romances, those Barbara Cartlands, the, the Bridgertons, yeah, the, the Bridgertons, yeah. Set in that very specific time period. There are Westerns, there are contemporary romances, there's the Scottish Highlander. I always think mm-hmm. of those romance covers with the guy in the kilt, you know, and the right. woman, you know, flinging yes. in his arms. There are mysteries. There are like the newer kind of more experimental things that are becoming popular, paranormal, religious, LGBT, young adult romances, all all these kinds of things. So it's just to say it's a very broad experimental category right now. And that now that more people are reading ebooks, probably more people are reading romance than ever before. And during this time that we've been living in since 2020 with the pandemic, you know, I think that need for happy endings and for, um, you know, people to consume something that is not heavier than what is going on in the world because the world's a pretty heavy place right now. So I'm sure that has contributed to this explosion of the, the romance genre, if you will. And, you know, we were talking before we started recording about the variations in, you know, the romance genre and the, the, what is the difference, if any, between a romance versus a romantic comedy, a rom-com? 
Right. And which, which we've talked before. We've talked about yes. chiclet. We've talked about and palate cleansers. Palate and, cleansers. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. Um, and and we thought about that quite a bit before recording here. And and I'm just going to pose something out there and see what you think about it. You know, we're of a generation, Stacy, without giving away our age, <laughs> <laughs> that we remember when you bought most books physically, right before right. eBooks. Yep. And um, you know, they're the books that typically would go into a bookstore that start out in hardcover. And then after a year, they go to what was called a quality paperback, kind of a large paperback if you wanted to wait a year to buy it. And these were heavily edited, lots of beautiful artwork invested in them, what have you. You know, your mm-hmm. typical typical books that would come out. Um, and then if you would go down the street to the drugstore or the grocery store, there were the racks of smaller, what they're called mass market paperbacks. They're like five inches by four inches mm-hmm. or something like right. that. And they were often near the checkout station or near the magazines. Right. And those would be the kind of Harlequins or the Avons with, you know, the half, the guy with no shirt on clutching a woman, you know, and some sort of romance title. Right. 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 They're, they're much, much cheaper, a lot less money put into these things, but they sold really, really well. And, and I think. Nowadays, with ebooks and with self-publishing, I think those lines of difference between what is a mass market romance, which is kind of what everyone kind of thinks of, is beginning to blur. And yeah, you know, the two books I'm going to talk about, I would actually call rom-coms, but right, they're categorized as romance. It's just it, comedy and romantic comedy had leads to a happy ending often, so it kind of fits with those tropes, right? Yeah, they're very woven kind of into into each other and you know I wondered about series not necessarily mm-hmm. what we're going to talk about today but like the shopaholics books or right. Danielle Steele right? right so I can remember going back to what you were saying Christopher about you know finding the 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 little turnstiles with all the Harlequin romances on it in the grocery mm-hmm. store even right um you know when when I was a kid and like Danielle Steele's first big novel was published and everybody yeah. was reading it. I mean, right. I was in middle school, I think. Right. So it was like sixth grade or something when that right. came out. And um, but you know, everybody read it from the moms to us, you know, the kids. And and she's still, she's you still know, writing. one of the best selling authors of the day. Yes, yeah, it's, it's totally. And she's one of those who probably makes $35,000 a day. <laughs> probably, <laughs> right? I, probably. I mean, and I went, I actually went back when we, I was trying to figure out what to read because mm-hmm. there was so much material here to choose from for right. this episode. Um, I went back and I looked, she has, she, girl publishes like two books a year. Sure. I don't know. How, and she's got like a hundred children. I don't know how. <laughs> Her and James Patterson. No, yeah. but you know, but real romance writers, real romance writers, you know, romance writers who do this for a living or who are very passionate writers will often publish two to three books a year because very often they're, they're short, right? Those right. mass market romances, and I should mention a couple of popular authors, Christine Fian, there's, of course, Julia Quinn, Debbie McAmer, yeah. um, Rianne Thane. Um, these are people who write in series, you mm-hmm. know, yep. um, so same town or same area or same characters within a family or, you know, that's what Bridgerton is. Yes. Um, um, they are writing things that are fairly short. They're meant to be read in an afternoon. Most of right. these mass market romances you could read in four to five hours. They're like potato chips, right? 
you stole my line. Oh, I was going to use that later. <laughs> <laughs> you can use it later. But, you know, and they're very, they're meant to be consumed and move on. So some of the titles that are currently mass market best-selling romances today in April of 2021 are The Spinster and the Rake. Okay. Hit Me With Your Best Scott. <laughs> a Timeless Christmas and Enchanting Time Travel Romance. The Secret Amish Crush. Texas born and smoke and six shooter. So these are like six different subgenres that are currently right. on the top 10 of mass market romances out there Amazing. that people can read. Um, so what did you choose for today? So I what are a, your picks? So I chose a couple of books and I will point out, I am one of those pandemic readers. I, I had a hard time focusing on my usual quote unquote literary books and nonfiction last summer. So I started picking up romances Based on, you remember, there's my friend Gwen who used to be a co-host yeah. on the Library and is in podcast. And she mentioned Kat Sebastian who writes male-male romances um, in one of those episodes. And I had just finished reading the books that I'm about to recommend. And I thought, well, I, I, maybe I'll check her out because she's very similar. And I was looking for a happy ending. And <laughs> um, I read it. And I will tell you, that's probably the first romance I've picked up that was explicitly romance, um, in probably 30 years. <laughs> and yeah. I surprised myself. Um, you know, I gave it a shot and I read it in an afternoon. And I was surprised by the simplicity of the story. I could finish mm -hmm. it so quickly. It was very kind of snarky writing. Um, <laughs> it was the enemies to lovers trope. Um, and I liked that the way that these romances ended up is that, you know, the big issues weren't solved. What was solved was that there was a relationship that two people could, join together to work on those issues, right? Right. So with a big pandemic unsolvable swirling around us right now, what I liked about this story is that there are two people who are helping each other through something bigger. Um, and then, of course, there's a next book in the series, right? It's that, right. that figure. So, and tell, tell, tell us the name about it of it again. I, oh gosh, I can't remember the exact name of the book. But it's Cat Sebastian is the okay. author, and this is a that was a male male romance. And I will tell you, it's one of the okay. subgenres. There is a right. whole thing out there that I learned of straight, mostly married women with kids who write male male romances for an audience wow. of mostly straight married women with kids. <laughs> oh wow! Okay, I can't tell you how many I read that like the last the acknowledgement said, I want to thank my husband and kids for helping me write this book. And I thought, wow, that's pretty amazing. Okay. Um, but the two that I'm recommending today, just to quickly get to them, um, are two that were bestsellers. Um, and they probably fit a little bit in that romance rom-com area. So the first one real quickly is by an author called Casey McQuiston. It came out a couple of years ago. It's kind of YA crossover. The two, this is male, male, and the two characters are, uh, college graduate age, so new adult age. Right. It's called Red, White, and Royal Blue. It's a meet cute enemies to lover story between um, the college age son of the first female president of the United States and the college age son or prince of the Queen of England. It's kind of like a Prince Harry. Meghan Markle thing if Meghan Markle right. were a guy. Um, and the whole premise is it's enemies to lovers. One of them embarrasses the other at a diplomatic function. They kind of think they hate each other. But because this thing has happened, the two countries basically decide that the two of them should hang out and do a press junket together where they're all smiley and friendly with each other. So it's forced proximity thing. Got it. Um, and then, of course, through the course of the story with a lot of fun, witty dialogue, 
um, they find out they have real feelings for each other and it comes to a happily ever after ending. The book came out to rave reviews. It was on the New York Times bestseller list. It won an Alex Young Adult Award from the American Library Association and a Goodreads Choice Award. It is actually optioned for a movie, probably to the Mm. surprise of the author. And her next book is called One Last Stop. It's due out this June. That's Casey McQuiston. We'll put the title up. Okay. The other book that I wanted to talk about which I really enjoyed. And this is a librarian hand seller favorite and bookseller hand seller favorite from last year is by Alexis Hall called Boyfriend Material. And this is a British writer. So it's a British setting and it's contemporary, another enemies to lovers, fake relationship story. Mm -hmm. So if you liked Bridgerton Regency, you might like this contemporary story. Um, And this one is a lawyer type A personality versus a son of a celebrity who works at a nonprofit fundraising um, and who keeps messing up things in his life and is at risk of losing his job if he doesn't straighten things up with the potential people who are fundraising his organization. Um, So he is kind of instructed by his boss to settle down, maybe get into a relationship and organize the annual fundraising gala. which I should say is the the organization studies dung beetles. So there's a little bit of the first <laughs> style of humor right there. Um, and type A lawyer is convinced to be his fake boyfriend until things turn around. So that's kind of the basis of the story. Really funny, tight writing. Again, it's like reading a 1930s screwball comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, and the surrounding characters are really eccentric and well built out. And, um, there's kind of, the author does a really great job of stringing out this, will they, won't they get together right up to the very end of the book, which again is a very great happily ever after that will leave you closing the book smiling. I will say when this first came out, it was a hand seller hit. A lot of people talked about it. I friended the guy on Instagram and said, Hey, it was a great book. Looking forward to your next one. Along with other librarians I know across Uh the country, we all friended the the author and I got a nice note back from him last year saying, Oh, "Oh, thank you. And, and you know, my next book will be coming out next year and it's based on great British baking show theme. Oh, oh, well, I can't wait to read that one. (laughs) Well, good because that one's called Rosalind Palmer takes the cake. It was just announced. It'll be coming out this May, but this is to show that both of these authors, if you can follow them on Facebook, these, these romance authors love their audiences and they love their readers. So if you just say, Hey, great job, they'll often like you or respond back. This one was called boyfriend material by Alexis Hall. I will mention, um, you know, I read it in an ebook originally. I thoroughly enjoyed it. My, my husband Wills was, you know, having some focusing issues of his own <laughs> earlier this year. So I went out and bought this book for him thinking he needs something he can dive into and have that same experience that I did. So I went to my local bookstore and bought this. And as I was placing an order for it, one of the booksellers leaned over and said, oh, that was a great book. So <laughs> a lot of people kind of see this book as a word of mouth. So I will put those picks up on the website. And Stace, what did you read for romance? Well, we we had we definitely had something similar on the brain because my first picks have to do with American Royals as mm-hmm. well. And so this is these books, uh, American Royals, and then the second book in the series, Majesty, are by Catherine McGee. Mm-hmm. They are definite young adult crossovers. Mm-hmm. The um, the central characters are all uh, in the in their tw- you know early twenties, mm-hmm. and the 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 books posit that George Washington was made a king 
wow. when after the American Revolution. And now the House of Washington <laughs> is still the ruling family in the United States, in, in America. Wow. And so these stories um, are about Beatrice, Samantha, and Samantha's twin Jefferson, who are the the royal children mm-hmm. and and of course and then they're they're non-royal friends and and uh consorts i guess you know mm-hmm. um and it just posits you know what what would america be like if we had this royal family and you had these kids who are going to ascend to the throne um you know what would their lives be like and mm-hmm. so in the first um the first book, American Royals, um, Samantha, who's the eldest daughter, the fa- their father suddenly dies and she is thrust into becoming the right. queen. Wow. Similar to what happened to Queen Elizabeth, right? right? In, right. in England, you right. know, she, she became queen at a very young age. Um, and it just goes on about, you know, is she going to get married? Who should she marry? And then, you know, then her siblings are off getting into all sorts of trouble because they can, they're right. not the, the heir apparent. So right. Sounds fun. they're very, they're very fun. They're very engaging. Um, you know, they, they keep you wanting more, you know, when the first one ends, that's why I read both of them because I, <laughs> I wanted to, well, what's going to happen next? And I picked up the next one and there's lots of, um, you know, there's lots of queries on social media and, you know, it, when you, you know, if you look up these books online, you know, is there going to be a third, you know, is yeah. what's coming next? And, um, cause people yeah, want a third. Exactly. They do want a third and, I would like a third. Um, <laughs> you know, they're they're just like everything that that you described, Christopher. You know, they're um, they're characters that we love to love. There's characters that we love to hate. Mm-hmm. There are some we want to send to time out. <laughs> you know, <we> don't, <laughs> I don't want to read you anymore. Go away. Right. Um, you know, there is although the majority of the characters in these books are Caucasian children of means. Mm-hmm. Um, there are, there is a, a Latinx char- main character who has two mothers. So you get a little bit of diversity there. Um, and just, you know, despite all the plot twists, both books have a happy ending, Good. even though you want to see what happens next. So that is Catherine McGee and that is American Royals and Majesty. Do you think and that- then, Oh, quickly, sorry. Do you yeah. think that like creating this world of American royalty is kind of a way to riff on the very traditional romance Regency royals, you know, cause those are very often a woman meeting a prince or something like yeah, that. Yeah. I don't know if there's so much a riff on that, or I, I really think they're more of a takeoff of this obsession that we have with the British royals. Right, right. Right. And there's this whole, this whole group of younger British royals, Prince William and Prince Harry, and they're, you right. know, the duchesses or whatever Harry and Meghan are right now. I don't mm-hmm. know what their titles are. Um, I think it's more of a play on that, yeah. you know, a takeoff on that. And then supposing, well, 
what if the similar thing was happening here? Right. You know, so, um, but I, I have to give a shout out and I know I talked about, uh, the first, uh, the Duke and I, which was the first novel by Julia Quinn, the Bridgerton series on an earlier episode. And, you know, I have to say that I, I was like kind of embarrassed for a moment to admit that I can't stop reading these books. (laughs) Um, they are like potato chips. That was such an, a great way to, um, and, and that's not to say that potato chips aren't a delicious, filling, <laughs> lovely snack. Um, I, so I have since read The Viscount Who Loved Me and The Officer from a Gentleman, uh, both by Julia Quinn. They are the second and third books in the Bridgerton series. Right. And I can't wait to read. I'm going on vacation next week and I can't, or in two <laughs> weeks. And I can't wait, wait to read the third, fourth, and fifth. And these, um, so who, do these stay with the same family? Yes. Yeah, so these are a continuation. So, so the first, she kind of went in order of who her central characters are because the eight Bridgerton children are all named alphabetically, mm. but Daphne is the first girl and the Duke and I focused on Daphne Mm. and the, the season one of the Bridgerton television show focuses on that, that book and Mm -hmm. that child, the Viscount who loved me is the central character is Anthony, the eldest brother. Mm -hmm. And then the officer from a gentleman is focuses on Benjamin, Mm -hmm. the second brother brother. And what was, what was kind of amazing to me is, you know, there, it's the same family. I, I opened each book thinking, how is she going to do it this time? How is the romance going to be created and how is it going to be different? You know, um, you know, in the first Bridgerton, you had the fake romance, right? Right. And then I don't want to give anything away, but the the way the romances form in each of these two books are completely different. And right. it's like, wow, that's really amazing that she could come up with a different story right. for the same formula, right? Isn't it funny? You know, I was thinking when you mentioned that to me, because I've seen the same in the series romances that I've been mm-hmm. reading, and I thought of that song, 50 Ways to Kill Your Lover. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. in, so in a romance, there must be 50 ways you can meet your lover before you find out 50 ways to kill them, right? Yes. And, and, 50, <laughs> and 50 ways the story can play out in an, <laughs> in an interesting way to keep you reading, you know? Um, they sound so fun. They're so, they're so much fun. And it's not even, it's not even a, for me at this point, it's not even a guilty pleasure. It's just pleasure. And it's just so much fun. And... I yeah. would, especially as the weather gets warm, I would so much rather sit outside on the weekend with a book and a lounge chair and just read all day yeah. and, um, than, um, you know, do almost anything else. So, you, you know? know, so I wonder if you're at the same place I am, Stace, cause this, again, this for me was like pandemic induced. I was mm-hmm. literally having a hard time focusing on the, the literature, yeah. the, the heavy nonfiction that I like to read. And I have since come out of that. I think romance reading has helped me. Yeah. Um, and I am back. I was 
just mentioning I went into the bookie joint last week and ordered a thousand page book on the enlightenment. I can't wait to read this heavy nonfiction work, but I still dive in once or twice a week. I'll pick up a little short romance just to get that kind of like that little jolt of electricity or escape. Do you? Yeah, I, I do. I, I really do. It's well, you know, I think that's how we came upon the, the idea of a palate cleanser, right, right? Right. You know, was that after reading, some heavy fiction or, or even, even something like a, a Ken Follett novel, you mm-hmm. know, where it is a novel, but it's historical fiction. It's got some girth to it. I you know, it's Ken got Follett. some weight. Yeah. Me too. He has a new book out by the way. Yep. <laughs> Anyways. Um, yeah, I think after reading something like that, uh, for me, I, I need something to kind of clear out the, clear my brain out, have yeah. a, you know, make some um, space. Yes, exactly. And and certainly when you go on vacation or, you know, well, you know, when you're sitting by a pool, you, you just, you want to have something you don't have to give too much of yourself to. Right. It, it comes to you. Exactly. It does the reading for you almost. Yeah. And when yeah. you close the cover, it leaves you in a happy place. Yes. Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. So re- uh, listeners, this, you know, we hope you will have fun with this genre too and let us know what your favorite romances are um, because it's just so much fun to see what, you know, that that these are, we don't have to be, reading these in the closet and we can <laughs> own it. We can own it. Look, there's 20 uh, statistics say 25% of people around us are reading romance. So we know that there are a lot of there you out there. That's right. <laughs> Feel free to share your recommendations with us. If you want some recommendations, just ping us through Instagram or on our website and we will be happy to point you in the right direction. Stay with us. And we're going to come back with our conversation in a minute. You're dialed in to Oxygen Starved, the podcast that brings you your ABCs, adventure, books, and conversations from 11,000 feet, originating from the slopes of Mammoth Mountain in Mono County, California. You can find us at SoundCloud. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us at OxygenStarvedPodcast.com. Just make sure you find us. Welcome back, listeners. We have arrived at the C conversation part of our podcast, and I am thrilled today to have my sister in education with us, Dr. Annie Rinaldi. Welcome, Annie, principal of Mammoth High School. Hi, good morning. So happy to have you here today, and thank you for taking a little bit of time from your kiddos and your teachers and absolutely the tons of responsibilities you have. It's been a pretty exciting two weeks of reopening after a whole year of yay. No kidding. So it's nice to see actual children in the hallways. I'll bet even in masks and all that. Yes. Are they, are they excited to be back? They are, and you can tell that there's this transition period. It's kind of like the first days of school. And so we're kind of in the honeymoon stage where everybody's kind of like apprehensive and, you know, quiet. But I'm sure in a couple of weeks, it's just going to be like normal. Was norm- the new normal high school. <laughs> so we've we've heard so much about how you know, the, the year away from in-person learning was so hard on the kids. How, 
how was it for the administrator and the teachers? So how was it for the administrators? I I think um, it was really challenging to do that kind of communication engagement um, because you were kind of resorting always to Zoom. And so, um, you know, people get zoomed out. We all do. (laughs) You're that fifth one. It's like, oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. Zoom fatigue is real. And so as an administrator, you miss the water cooler talks, the talks that you do in the hallway or the ones that, you know, going into a classroom with students. So you miss those like nuggets of, of little conversations, those discourse, those engagements. And then it's so hard with this, like you can't read people's body language. And so like, it was just a lot of fatigue, making sure that you listened and that people were being heard and students were being heard. And it was getting really hard, like towards the end, like having students like say, like, I lack motivation. You know, right. I'm doing six hours of school in bed. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> right. It kind of sounds like a dream until it actually happens, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's tough. I can totally relate to that. So can we, um, Annie, I, before we started recording, I learned some interesting stuff about you. Can you kind of give us your origin story? Like, where did you come from and how did you end up here in Mammoth? So I was born in New York, uh, started off in the Bronx, um, (laughs) my favorite borough (laughs) exactly um moved so I had um all our neighbors in the Bronx were like Dominican Puerto Rican um and so my Spanish my dad is Italian French and so um it's that diversity, that language, that richness um you know the food the food (laughs) (laughs) and New York. Um, It was a really just rich childhood. Um, Long Island was also, you know, really great as well. Like I learned how to horseback ride, you know, for (laughs) in the boys, like boys and girls club in the Bronx and then going to Long Island and to learn how to horseback ride. That was like such a huge transition. It was fun. And then my parents are kind of, my dad was a chef and oh, cool. um, so it, that was really eclectic because he worked in the city. And so he was either a private chef. He did like stints in catering businesses. So I got to see a side of New York, um, like Park Avenue apartments that were like two, three stories, wow. own separate elevators. Um <laughs> And like, as like, and, and then I, that kind of spirit, like that artisty spirit from my parents, they were kind of gypsies kind of, um, it was like instilled in me. And so like, I remember I was like 14 or 15 and I would go with my friends to Bergdorf Goodman's and we would (laughs) have a Polaroid camera and we would put on like these fancy gowns and <laughs> and like and like we were oh yeah we're like looking for dresses for the debutante balls and stuff. 
<laughs> and then that night we would go clubbing in like old roller skating rings, like with our platform flu bogs and stuff. <laughs> so flu bogs. So wait, 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 Annie, real quickly, explain to our listeners what flu bogs are, because that is an indication of a real New Yorker. Right? Explain to the host what I don't. <laughs> So um, at the time, they were like boutique, like shoes, like platform shoes. And so the ones that like I had that I cherished and I still have in a box somewhere were just these glittery silver platform blocky shoes. And that they would make me look like I would. I mean, I'm five foot six and I would look like I was six feet tall. (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh. They are love it. Stace, if you if you go to New York Stace, you gotta go to the flu bug store. Okay. We'll do so put it on my list. That was like I was a little um club kid. I love oh, it. Awesome. <laughs> I know. So how did you make the transition into from club kid to becoming the amazing educator that you are now? Um I came to Los Angeles. I thought I wanted to um, go into business and, and be a CPA and, and travel that way. So I worked for, um, Grant Thornton, which was like, not one of the big eights, but it was like one of those mid-sized public accounting firms. And I was so bored. (laughs) And so like having this like really fun, eclectic, like childhood. And then it was like, business was not for me. And so a girlfriend um, needed to have a presenter to their um, career fair at the elementary school in South Los Angeles. She was at this elementary school like called um, Martin Luther King Elementary School. And so I brought all my tchotchke, like little backpacks and pencils from Grant Thornton. And like, you know, I had my little Banana Republic suit, and, um, <laughs> you know, par to the course. And so um, I went there and I just had so much fun. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so much more fun. I could be more creative. And so I just, um, went to Cal State Dominguez Hills, got my credential, and started teaching in LAUSD. Amazing. And then um, I wanted, like, I got tired of elementary school and I wanted to do middle school. So I applied up and down California and I had interviews because um, I thought I wanted San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did know Mammoth just from skiing and snowboarding here with my friends. And so I was like, oh, I've never had like a real small town experience. And so voila, 10 years later, high yeah. school principal now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you just kind of dove in. It was like an adventure, right? You, it was something new. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, and you know, Mammoth is, it's so close to everything. And so Stacy knows and um, Doug is mm-hmm. learning. I'm, I love to travel. That's like how I like to yeah. spend my money. And so every year I, um, I have two or three international trips and, um, you know, the pandemic did slow me down. Um, but hopefully we can start up again, like with the vaccinations <laughs> and stuff. I do have a trip to South Africa planned with one of my best friends in June or July. So oh, brilliant. Oh, very cool. Fingers crossed. What is, yeah. you know, 
you grew up in really urban and, and areas and then living in Los Angeles and aiming for San Francisco and ending up in Mammoth. You've been here for about a decade now. Is there something that you could say is like the most surprising or delightful thing that you didn't expect about living and working in a small town? It was, I love, I love my anonymity, but I really don't mind not having my anonymity. Mammoth. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so it's it like the people it's, it's a community. And I mean, I broke my back two weeks ago and oh. I had, I still have soups and stews to last like in the freezer. And it was just like, I didn't ask, you know, because I'm kind of that type of person that's like, you know, I'm not going to ask. I'm not like, that's right. me. And I just want to kind of like, just be in the shadows and just be like, I was embarrassed that this happened <laughs> and people like found out from word of mouth. And it was just, it was lovely. It was, it, yeah. it's really lovely. Like yeah. That sense of you're not like all alone. So. Totally. It is pretty close knit. I've discovered that since moving back to, I think it's great. Mm-hmm. It, it is. So being a being a high school principal, and I should, you know, for our listeners that don't know, Annie was a, extremely successful as the middle school principal here, and that was where you first your first position here. Um, so the high school is really lucky to have you there now. Um, it's such a busy job, but what we're going to talk about reading in a little bit. But what do you like to do? in your limited free time? Um, I I think it's uh, kind of like what everybody who lives here kind of takes advantage of just outdoors and being able to just go out my front door and I'm in this beautiful meadow and, you know, there's a trail just like two minutes away and you can just start walking to Mammoth Rock um, the skiing, the snowboarding. Well, I can't do that anymore this season, but, um, <laughs> you know, just, just everything that's outdoors and like not having to drive like two or three hours. Um, it's, it's so nice. It's so perfect. <laughs> you know, and it's, I understand why people come to visit. Like we live where everybody visits. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then, and then you, but then you travel to get out of here. I do. <laughs> do, do you have a fave, like, uh, you've been some amazing places. Um, do you have a favorite, you know, place that you've been so far that you think, oh, I want to go back there sometime? Um, I, like every place is unique. Um, but I really enjoyed Cuba. Um, wow. Uh, just, uh, it was different than what I was, my expectations were. Of In what way? Um, so when you go to Cuba and um, you talk to people, they say, I'm Cuban. They don't say I'm Afro-Cuban. I'm Euro-Cuban. Mm-hmm. You're Cuban. And yeah. you say that there isn't racism in Cuba, like especially in like Havana and like the different hotels and stuff like that. But Airbnb is the biggest business in Cuba. And so that's how people supplement their incomes. Um, There's a 98% literacy rate in Cuba. Um, So everybody thinks it's like this real, like 
socialist, like communist country, but there's all this like capitalism happening on the side. Um, and it's not black market stuff. It's Airbnb, the taxis, um, they are kind of con- like free contract contracted drivers. So it's not like everything that they earn has to go to the government and then the government parcels it out. So it wasn't as communist as I thought like it was going mm-hmm. to be, but it, there are aspects of it. Like they do have cards like food cards where they go to, there's two supermarkets. There's the one where you go with your little card with everything, like, you know, your, your chicken, your milk and everything. And then it's like, if you have extra money, then you go to like the more regular supermarkets. And so there's this weird, like two worlds happening at the same time. And, um, you know, it's just an interesting country, like, especially with Guantanamo Bay, like just on the, on the side there. And, um, they still like America still pays like a monthly rent for that part of Cuba that I, it's bizarre. And they (laughs) cash the checks like since like the fifties, I think like the government just keeps all the American checks uncashed. Wow. Wow. But that's kind we of could the, use some of that back right now. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, kind of, that's kind of that wonderful thing about travel, right, is it kind of helps um, dispel some of the preconceived notions that you arrive with, right? And you kind of mm-hmm. uncover these wonderful, wonderful things that you learn about different cultures. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And um, the food was amazing. Um, and, and, and there's definitely an art community and a music community that thrives, um, but they definitely want to have better relationship with America. But, and, and I'm not going to say like, you know, for anybody that's like, but Cuba is under, you know, their government's thumb. And it's like, it's true. They have like people who like they're older now, but like neighbors and stuff that, that listen to see if you're like saying anything against the government and like, you still might just disappear in the middle of the night. And so I'm not saying like Cuba is like this paradise. Um, but I think every country definitely we're all works in progress. Right. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, we all, that was really interesting to hear. Um, we always talk to our guests about what they're reading now. Mm-hmm. And as an educator, we, I'm sure you are. A, I know you read a lot. So, Annie, what are you reading? Now? So I'm I, I definitely stick to nonfiction. It's really hard for me to read fiction. Um, that's not my go-to. I will like if somebody like like the high school librarian, Dana Ellis, she's amazing. Um, she, but she knows, she already knows like my kind of, uh, style of what I like to read. And, um, and she knows that I listen to like the moth and, you know, I, that's more my, my go-to. And so this year, just with everything that's been going on, like with the pandemic and just with the childhood that I had, that was very diverse, um, I really wanted to educate myself on race in America. And um, I'm not religious per se, but like it fascinates me um, the, the relationship of evangelical Christianity 
and uh, the history of racism in our country. Um, and just uh, the book that I just finished is called The Color of Compromise by Jamar Tisby. And um, he is from Notre Dame. Um, he also, I think, went to like a theological seminary. And so he's part of the whole like Black Christian collective. And it was just really uh, like interesting to um, see his take on um, the roots of the racism and the injustice of the American church. Um, not from mm. the Catholic per se, but it was more about like just evangelical Christianity and like how did, how, did, how was the whole like compromise per se of like rationalizing Christianity, trying to, um, you know, take Africans that slaves and um, convert them to Christianity. And like what, what was said was like, you know, Christianity and Islam was introduced in Africa, like in the second and third centuries from Egypt and Ethiopia. So it was presumptuous of like when these people were brought um, to think like they didn't have education, that they didn't have like their own religions. And so, I mean, yes, some had like the Yoruba uh, spiritual religions. Um, there were scholars who um, wrote in Arabic and like were of the Islam faith. And so I think um, that complexity of this humanity brought over, like we, we, as America, like generally Americans don't like want to like delve too much into it because it's like, Oh my gosh, do we really have to talk about racism again? And what like um, this author talks about is we really do have to kind of stop and figure out how we're going to do this reconciliation between what happened in Christianity. And he's like, my whole purpose of my book is not about white guilt. And he's like, but I know there'll still be people. And I know there'll be people that listen to me and like, be like, Oh my gosh, here we go with the Marxism again. Oh my gosh. You know? And like, mm, yeah, fear it. And so again, I love just reading about like religions and stuff like that. And just seeing how that moves people and there's, um, he was saying there's this part like in second Corinthians that says, you know, you have to allow yourself to sit in grief, um, in order to allow yourself to reconcile with God. And so again, I don't like, I don't want to name myself like, oh, I'm Christian or I'm this or I'm that. Um, I just think it's really beautiful, like how, I feel like we are kind of just grappling and rumbling with this sort of like, how do we reconcile? How do we go forward? And so beautiful writer, um, really. That's a great, oh. <clears throat> I was going to say that is a great book and it got good reception. I think it's about a year and a half or two years old. Mm -hmm. um, and what I like about what you're saying out of it, um, Annie, is that you know, so often in these conversations and kind of think where we are society right now is that we, the conversation is still very much in broad brushes, right? And we bring again, these preconceived notions about people on different sides of a table. 
But everyone is different and everyone is individual and we need to get away from the broad brushes and down to the more granular understanding. And, you know, you were just talking and I was thinking about that thing that I experienced living in the city so often, especially in New York City, is how many times I ran into a taxi driver who was a doctor or a lawyer where they came from, but they couldn't practice in the States. And and to many people, they are just the brown skinned person driving the you know, ratty old taxi cab, you know, and that, and how you need, if I didn't talk to them or they didn't talk to me, I'd never have known that about them. Right. 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 And, and, and you're right. Like we do have to do that deep dive into history and it's like, yeah, I think like a lot of people like probably remember, you know, uh, reading about the Missouri compromise of 1820, but everything was layered. It was all this about how do we uh, rationalize like slavery? How do we rationalize, rationalize the North and the South? And like, I think it, it's not that long ago. And I think we're still like having problems. I, I, I mean, in the book, it talks about the lost cause of the Confederacy and this mythology that happened in the 1800s. And I, I never heard that terminology before, the lost cause of the Confederacy. But there were organizations and groups, and that's where all those um, raising money to um, to have that 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 blend of like Christianity and and why God made them lose you know the war, and so there were groups that you know put up the statues, put up everything, and I think like we still are f- feeling those residuals of. Absolutely. Of compromise of like what we're doing. And I think it's still uncomfortable for people to talk about race and to talk about our own personal, like implicit biases. And because we feel like threatened that, oh my gosh, people won't think I'm a good person. And, um, and, and it's like, to me, like when I was reading that book, it's like, how do we get over the fact of like the white guilt? It's just, right. let's just process it, get through it, you know, and really like own it and um, reconcile. <laughs> I know I'm saying that word, um, but I still have kids and, and, and people that are just like, oh my gosh, do we really have to, ah. Oh talk about that <laughs> and um so my thing is like yes <laughs> yeah and so it's this this talk of and I loved the conference that um that Mono County Office of Education sponsored for all of us like the equity the epic equity yeah. conference and I it was so funny because the person was just like I know a lot of people think like because I'm white like how do I facilitate something like this like conversations on race and equity and I was just like oh my gosh she read my mind <laughs> you know <laughs> and I was so embarrassed um but it I loved that whole um that whole script of like being empathetic but interrupting um, the, and, and questioning. So, Mm -hmm. you know, recently, um, there was this talk and it was just like, oh, that's so ghetto or that's so ghetto and that's so ghetto. And so my interruption was when we say that, when we say, oh, I live in the ghetto here in Mammoth, 
Um, like what, what's the implication of that? Like, what are we really saying? What's the underlying message? Or when we say like, oh, Megan the Stallion is too ghetto for me. Like, what are you really saying about that? Like, and yeah. so it's, it's like, what do you see the commonality between our language and, and, and just the power of our language? Yeah. And they're just like, and the person and I had a really nice conversation. Not all of them are nice. Um, <laughs> but it was just like, yeah, ghetto means people of color. Like when I say ghetto mm-hmm. and I say like, oh my yeah. gosh, you know, this person's so ghetto, you know, like nine out of 10 times you're saying like this person is of color, like it's less than. And so right. language is powerful. Um, so. <laughs> and we need to, we need to be affording our, our kids or our, our peers, our neighbors, whomever, the opportunity to understand that. And that, that idea that was brought up in the, the equity training about interrupting mm-hmm. or, you know, or creating that disruption to allow people the opportunity to reconsider how they're phrasing things or talking about things is, is so important, so valuable. Well, and I think that that's kind of what's happening in the publishing world right now, there are a lot of interesting books coming out that are kind of interrupting the narrative and asking mm-hmm. a lot of us to reconsider what we grew up understanding, right? Yeah. So I was going to ask you, Annie, is that the only book you've read recently? Or is this kind of something you're you're focusing on this year with the recent events? Or um, Yes. Uh, so I've also um, read The Color of Law um, by Richard Rothstein. And, um, he is this more, this is more towards like economic policy. Mm-hmm. And so, um, excellent book on like, uh, us governments and how they deliberately like impose re- racial segregation in um, metropolitan areas nationwide. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. um, oh, part of like, I kind of stumbled upon this, like when I went to um, USC for the doctoral program, but there was this research on Louisiana's like ninth ward, which is a very, was very segregated um, African-American community. It was historically poor. Um, They even had like physical barriers, like so that they were stuck there. So hurricane Katrina came and it just destroyed the ninth ward. And so they tracked like where people went. And so when they all went into more diverse communities, they thrived. All of a sudden, this like this, this cycle of poverty and, 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 and going in and out of jails, like stopped. Stopped. Yeah. Great deal of these people. And, and so it's just kind of like, in nature, like the more diverse we are, like the more we thrive. And so that was, again, he, Richard Rothstein, like he was an amazing writer. Um, I really, it was brilliant. Um, and just the machinery of government. And again, it's that theme of like compromising, rationalizing, um, because there's always people in power, not wanting to give up that power because you have to lose power in order to give empower other people to balance that out. And I think it's that loss of like, no, I don't want to lose anything I have because I'm, this is all I know. You got to lose something in order to gain something. And that's even in our personal lives, you know? 
Totally. You're in a bad relationship. You're in a bad friendship. You got to lose it in order to like have something move on. move on and have something that happens that's good in your life. Then the other book that I read is um, The Warmth of Other Sons by yes. Belle Wilkerson. Um, great book. Great, great book. Narrative nonfiction. Um, and it talks about the great migration from, um, I think it was like early 1900s to um, 1970s of um, African-Americans moving from the South to the North. Again, even before then, it was hard to go from the South to the North. It wasn't just like open arms, welcome, one and all. No, it, it, there was obstacles. There's all these, you know... Um, not easy. And, and, and think about even just in my personal life, um, one of my besties, um, she's African-American and she took like, this is something that happened like two or three years ago. And she asked me to go to help her with, um, to pick out a car for a lease or something. And I didn't even think like twice about it. And I was just like, okay, and then we can have lunch and then we can go shopping and da 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 in LA. Cause like, you know, I'm like, oh yeah, I get to go to like multiple stores. So, <laughs> and so all about me. Um, and so we went to Marina Del Rey. We went to like a Toyota dealership and, um, and not that this should have any bearing on like what transpired, um, but she has a master's, you know, she speaks three languages. Again, she, she could be like just with like a high school grad, like degree, like this should not have happened. But we go in there, she picks her car and everything like that. And the salesperson, yada, 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 really nice. And then was just like, you know, um, you're picking like one of the like top like cars, you know, it's a RAV4, it's a Toyota RAV4. And I was like, oh gosh, you know, I'm thinking I'm getting hangry. I'm like, let's go. I don't, I don't (laughs) know what's about to happen. And then he looks at her and he's like, so if you need like somebody to co-sign for you, your friend can do that for you. That flipped a switch in me and, um, I bet being a New Yorker, I'm not really good with the filters. Like, (laughs) (laughs) and so I was like, excuse you. (laughs) I was like, what did you just say? And he was, he, he repeated it and he's like, well, if she doesn't have good credit, you could like, would you be willing to co-sign for her? And I was just like, okay, whoa. (laughs) <laughs> I was like, let me get my earrings off. <laughs> and um and I said, what why do, are you making those assumptions that I have better a uh, credit score than she does? I want you to tell me like directly. And my friend Margie, she knows me like over 20 years. And so she just she's just like I didn't know, but she was smirking like in the background. And so I was like, can you please explain it to me? And um, he's like, well, well, and I'm just like, so let me tell you something. She was like an 800 credit score. I mean, like if I'm making 700, like good, good, woohoo. 
Um, <laughs> you know, and I was just like, so if anybody needs to co-sign for somebody else, it's like her for me. And so I was like, I was like, Marjorie, let's go, let's go someplace else. They don't deserve mm. your business. And then all of a sudden it was like all the extra. They couldn't do like, enough. They couldn't yeah. do enough. And then we went, you know, did the finances and stuff like that. And then we left and Marjorie's like, that has been my daily reality. And she's like, wow. and I go, so when did you know that you were black? And she's like, I was four years old. Yep. Wow. Yep. So um, it was just, it was such a heavy moment. Um, and it's, you know, I've seen that like so much. And I don't think people like realize that that happens on the daily. And Still today, still right? Today, yeah. Absolutely. So yeah. I just feel like it's a personal responsibility of mine to really understand the history of America. And with everything that's going on and now with the recent like anti-Asian, like, um, just violence, um, you know, I just, I think that's my responsibility as an educator, as a human being is to really understand where I live. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I think we all have, you know, we all have share that responsibility, right. To have, to put ourselves in the shoes of others that, don't look like us and to have empathy for that, the experience that they might be having. Oh my God. Try to understand that. Absolutely. And that's in the color of compromise. That was the whole gist of the book was, um, really growing our empathy. Right. Right. So, uh, Annie, I, you know, we applaud you for, you know, your self-driven work to, you know, read these materials. And I'm sure you're reading a lot of others and, and finding other sources of information as well. You know, Stacey and I have chatted about this on a past episode. We encourage everyone to do that. And there are so many books out there now. The, the three books that you cited, Annie, all came out within the last decade. So we're talking fresh stuff with, yeah. with more current information and, and more realistic information because it's more current. And so we encourage people to, to seek that out. You can certainly find stuff in Mona County libraries or the bookstores around or, or online. Um, but listeners, if you're looking for suggestions, just ping us, you know, at oxygenstartpodcasts.com through email or even on our Instagram account. We're happy to to make some suggestions for you if you'd like to investigate some of these books. But I would say, Annie, the three that you picked are great places to start. Thank you. So, yeah, and I think. Oh, go ahead, Stace. Well, I was going to say, we we so loved having you with us today, Annie, yeah. and appreciate you taking the time and the great conversation. And thank you for all that you're doing for the kids in mammoth high school and and it it does appreciate absolutely and like that kind of readings does change your your practice and so um what we're working in at mammoth high school is all around equity and opening up access and opportunity for all students uh, regardless of um sex gender or race and so um it's really exciting work and i want to say thank you to all both of you for making me feel comfortable thank you (laughs) (laughs) well hopefully you were so comfortable you'll come back sometime yeah absolutely again (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> and listeners, hopefully you found this comfortable and informative and entertaining as well. Thank you for joining us again for another episode of Oxygen Starved Podcast. Uh, of course, you can follow us on Instagram at O2Starved and our Facebook account. Again, you can message us at our OxygenStarvedPodcast.com website. We love to hear back from you. Um, tell your friends we're available on all major podcast listening platforms and in until the next episode you know go have some adventure read a book and find someone to talk with and we'll be back in two weeks thank you take care thanks for joining us here for Oxygen Star. Our outro music, Iron Bacon, is composed and performed by Kevin McLeod in Competech.com, Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license.